You guys are in for a treat. We're going to interview somebody out of Australia, very successful entrepreneur that has done what very few people have done there, not only Australia, but literally developing a powerful brand. Welcome to the JT Fox Podcast Network. On this show, we interview some of the biggest names in the world, A-list celebrities, billionaires, celebrities, goats, and legends. But today we're taking this interview all the way to Australia as well. Simon is actually the CEO and founder of a brand that I'm actually quite familiar with as well, international streetwear company called Culture Kings as well. And um, to be honest with you, that is a very, very difficult business to be in because anyone thinks they can print a logo or a brand on a t-shirt and people buy, and you're going to realize it has nothing to do with this. So if there's a story about branding and bootstrapping, Simon is the one. Welcome, Simon Beard. How are you? It's great to have be on the show. Thanks, JZ Fox. So, so explain for people who may not know. I, I'm aware of the brand, right? But this idea of streetwear, right? It, it's clothing, sneakers. But for people, like, what does it represent? Because the people who are in it, it is like a total culture. It is like completely. I wouldn't say like a cult, but I'm saying a, a, a individual community. Um, you know, to most of us, like we look at Tommy Hilfiger or I'm wearing Under Armour or whatever it is, right? So explain to us what is exactly the definition of streetwear. So my definition's a bit different where I always try to position it with our team as well as like streetwear is like a great open format DJ. I like to explain it. And it's not what song you play, it's how you play it. And it's how you mix and how you curate all these different genres together and that's what streetwear is and that's what we developed culture kings to be across sport music fashion pop culture in all the different categories and to create one destination in which we could sell the whole outfit and in that create a true brand experience and true repeat loyal customers which every business needs to be their their absolute focus now, let me ask you, I interviewed Tommy Hilfiger last week at my event, right? And I asked him this question, what would he do if he had to start a luxury brand, right? To compete against the Hermes and the Louis yeah. Vuitton, which between me and you, a lot of it is the branding of it as well, because we can literally take the same purse material for a Louis Vuitton, put our name on there, and 99.9 .9 probably wouldn't sell. Yeah. So how do you, so, so the audience understands the difference between streetwear, let's say a Tommy Hilfiger or a Gap or uh, an uh, Old Navy, right? I, explain the difference of, of the brands. So I would call that more contemporary fashion and where streetwear really got a lot more traction, you know, really got traction 10 sort of years ago started, but it was this more underground how do we take from high fashion how do we flip it on its head and create this cool sort of underground street feel and one of the the t-shirts that really got me hooked on in earlier days was this brand crooks and castles and they had like the versace logo basically but with the bandana over the top of the medusa wearing the bandana and I remember at that time, I was like, this is just so cool. Cause it's like, it's sort of like Versace, but it's like a fuck you to Versace at the same right. time. And that was where I sort of fell in love with streetwear. And I was really watching it to, you know, when I started, I got inspired by uh, 
Nigel, who started Bape in Japan, was really iconic streetwear brand. And it was, it just was so much cooler to me than any sort of luxury item or putting on like a so obvious luxury item because it was the underground. But then this is where it developed and as the underground became mainstream, it was this very delicate balance of how you grow and how you how you expand without losing the coolness factor. And that was the art where I think we were lucky because we bootstrapped our business. We never took on any investors or any debt so that we were growing sort of consistently 20 to 40% a year, but not ever stretching it where you sort of, you know, there's a great documentary on Abercrombie and Fitch, you know, oil is very, yeah. but you burn white hot and you burn out. By, yeah. And this, what we did, especially in Australia to grab the market share and, you know, we we're able to build, you know, with only 20 million people, a 200 million plus size revenue business just in Australia off just eight stores and online. So let me, take, let me take a step back, right? I, for those who are listening audio, you, you, you know, you're hearing the intensity and the passion, but I look at you, I don't see the streetwear guy, right? You're dressed like Steve Jobs. You got a black t-shirt. Is that a Richard Milley you're wearing? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Is it, I mean, that's how, you know, I got, I got seven of those. So you only could tell if you have one of those. Uh, and, and I only saw the side. So, you, you you almost, I mean, usually I normally wear a suit. I just decide to, I mean, it's like holidays here. So I didn't feel like putting on a suit and I, or, and then have to dry clean the pants. You know, it's just, uh, it adds up. But so you don't come across to me, like basically it's like looking at me like a cool, but like a lot of times you'll see those people and they're like older people dressed in younger clothes. You, in yeah. essence, look like you've grown up and you're still not a, how old are you now? Like 40 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a forty-year-old man, and, and who like dresses like, like you know, the hat backwards. I'm like, dude, that's like in your twenties, and you're forty-five years old, right? So you have a a coolness to you, a Steve Jobs to you, but not a culture. Um, take us back to because you're also a very left brain and very analytical individual, right? So you're not hypey. I, I could tell by your other watch. You're wearing two watches. One is your Apple Watch that basically dictates all the. Yeah. Is it a, yeah? And and, and word, so you're wearing. Yeah. Correct. You're wearing two watches because one's for your health and see your message is the other one there. So, I mean, that's a very left brain. And a lot of times the people that are in your industry are extremely creative, right? You know what I mean? And they don't know anything about business, which is probably why they don't scale. Take us back to the beginning of how you getting involved in streetwear. And I can kind of imagine you're probably more of an introvert and maybe I'm wrong, but just based on your personality now. Yeah. I think this is a great point. I, I always say this, I love streetwear and I, especially as, you know, I've got a million dollars in a sneaker collection wow. and I love the, the, the shoes and everything as it came through. But I think a key difference, especially when I see a lot of people in the apparel or fashion industry is though I loved the game of business more. Yes, me too. And, yes. And so as much as I could end for myself is that, I would always consider myself not, I would never take the fashion risk. I would take the safer risk where I would love it, but I'd be like, yeah, but I'll just get the black one. Yeah, but I'll just get the small logo. Yeah. But I'm like in streetwear, that's where all the money was. So you would push the trend. And I learned this a lot from Bernard Arnold, LVMH, you know, you spoke about is the, right, right. the dead eye of all branding. 
but it's the theory you sell the red hand, you promote the red handbag to sell the black. And it's this, you elevate through pushing trends and pushing and people go, oh, that's cool. And you get them in, but then you sell them the more simple mainstream. So give version. us an example in terms of culture kings of that example. I, I know what you mean, but the audience may, you and I just spoke the okay. same language, but to break it down so to the audience. In, in culture kings, for example, is this saying in streetwear, cut and sews for show, printables are for dough. But cut and sew. So if I want to make a jacket, you know, I've got to design it and do it and make it in China and make 300 units and sample it. And it takes like three or six months and you get it. And say you crack it and it sells out straight away. You're like, okay, cool. I've got to go place another order and then wait another three months to get it. Where a printed T-shirt, and this is what we did, vertically integrate that on our print stores, everything, is that you catch a run on a printed T-shirt, I could have 5,000 tomorrow. Did, you, I could did have you know a company that did that in America? See if you know that. It's a very big company that did that, and that's really what probably exploded them. See if you know the name. A very big company, sportswear, that did the exact same thing. See if you know. Once I tell you the name, you'll, you'll know. Well, Fanatics. Fanatics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so what they did is they would, let's say they won the championship. Instead of having both them, whoever won, then they start doing the printing, and it was on demand. And it's yeah. interesting because even what people don't understand with the Apple and iPhone or even some cars now, you order it, and then they, they keep their supply chain like seven to ten days or sometimes yeah. as most two weeks so they're not stuck with excess inventory. So it sounds like you you – Rather than get stuck with all this inventory, which happens a lot, where you have a garage full of shit that nobody wants to buy, and then yeah. you're discounting the three uh, at the thrill at the thrift store, and then people are walking around with a say a Culture King T-shirt that they you know that's not like five dollars because they sell you know rather than the premium yeah. one. So, and like I had a meeting once with Michael Rubin from Fanatics, and I learned so much. Like, oh my god, I want to. He's such a friggin' Jedi, um, but. Definitely, the thing though is that you can't only push the printed T. So you have to elevate and do all your promote. And people go, oh, wow, that's cool. But then how do you sell more of the thing that you can supply fast? You have low inventory risk. You've even got more margin. So it's just wins across all categories. And this is Louis Vuitton in a nutshell. Look how they market everything, but almost 60% of their business is belts and wallets, which are like 300 bucks. Yeah, he said the same like thing. Tommy Hilfiger said the same thing. Or a Tommy Hilfiger wallet. And, and they're in the handbag. They're actually in the handbag business, to be honest with you. That's like basically that the, they get in and everything else is an accessory. But yeah, the belts and because the margins, you buy a bet for $900. It's got to be no more than $50 to make that belt. Oh, um, yeah. Less than 20 probably. But yeah, probably. Yeah. But. But, and this is the thing, you know, from learning from Bernard or not, why we integrated our own print shops and everything as well. Like if you don't own that supply chain, you can never truly control the quality. He owns the entire thing so that can and but, but it's the biggest thing of brand and learning from him. Like when they have aged stock, they burn it. They burn about 30 million euro every year of, you know, literally put it in a, in a big bonfire. Yeah. Wow. So what is it mostly you sell? Is it hoodies, t-shirts, sneakers? Like, uh, do you sell sneakers, custom sneakers or like? Yeah. What, what is- yeah. So 
so we sell like, and you know, I was early in the show and got all the, the big brands on through lots of influence and, you know, so we have all the, it is straight, all the retro Jordan and everything. It sort of accounts, but the thing is we never relied completely on footwear, right? Where if you look at like a footlocker business, which is 80% footwear, we were only 20% footwear and way more on apparel and headwear. And we created a lot of our own vertical brands as well. So that was always, you know, and this is where I talk a lot in business about, you know, horizontal scaling and vertical scaling, like you can vertically integrate and can be such a competitive advantage. I'm going to give you another term. So tell people when you, and this is a little term for you when you speak, when you convert vertical and horizontal, you get diagonal wealth, uh, right? Because they intersect. You're going to use that as part of your peach. Just remember when yeah. you say diagonal, I gave you that name, but I give you the credit. Okay. I'll Done. give you the credit. So let me ask you a question. So a lot of people listening to this, and I think, listen, I have my own uh, tie line. I've made over $10 million in profits, JT Fox power tie, but because I'm branded, right? And so it wasn't selling for $2.00. When I bought the brand, I put my name on there and I could sell 75 because I have a branding, but to my community uh, of a lot of people. But now the, the fashion world is a little different, right? Everybody thinks that they're good at fashion and they go in and they'll put it online. The cost per lead is very expensive. It's not like the old days where you're talking about, you know, less than a dollar. You're, you can, you, so basically you're probably losing money on your first sale. That's why they have to be quick on give me 10% off or your email, your text message. And, and then they bombard the shit out of you at first to the point that you opt out um, because they're trying to expand the lifetime value. So they may not make money on the first sale. Some don't even break even so that they can have a second, third, fourth sale. And ultimately, if people never heard of you, it, it's hard. So if you had to start a brand from scratch right now, okay, brand new. Um, by the way, Simon Beard is branded. They know you forget. They don't, you don't, no one knows who you are, but you yeah. have the knowledge of, can you redo culture Kings the same way? Or because you're one of the earlier adopters to be fair, right? You were early adopters. So you caught the way first and it's kind of first to market, but could you start another brand from scratch doing what you're doing and how would you do it? So to do it nowadays is that I would partner though with a creator that already has the audience. So it's, it's just exactly like you said of the cost per lead, but especially when you're looking at the marketing, how it's changed so much now, all the skill, you know, I've spent hundreds of millions of my own money on paid social. And, you know, I was always the one cutting all the data and all the lookalike audiences. And I mean, Facebook ads since 2011, right. But it's all changed now. The creative is the variable. Like you don't need to know any of that, but it's the knowledge of the creative and then understanding that data and recutting that circle. If you get a creator, they don't, they might not know how to put it in words, but if they've already built a following and, and done that, they actually know how to target and create an audience. But one that doesn't, you know, randomly push all different stuff on the foot that creates a true community and builds off that. Like, like I feel like what Kim Kardashian's done with skims, that's like the blueprint, but there's, there's so many more that can be done. And then what she's doing with sky partners with the private equity is even more genius. And that's what I sort of feel in today's world is just get the right creator in them on the come up partner. And I would create it that way rather than, 
yes, I was early on the streetwear trend and very early on the social media marketing and could sort of ride that wave as it was propelling and growing where now, and if I wanted to do it a lot faster, I'd just go straight where the traffic is. That's because- smart. That, what, what, I, listen, I know when someone knows business is exactly what to do is because they already have an influence and they don't know how to business stuff like that. Say, hey, we'll put your name, you promote it, you wear it, stuff like that. Hey, you can be the face all you want. I don't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and it's very, um, that, that's exactly, and that's what people understand. And, and I think when people say branding, I find that in Australia, when you have tall poppy syndrome, uh, they see branding as bragging, right? And, and and I go to Australians and correct me if I'm wrong. And I say to this, right? I go said, you know what? I ask Americans, name me one Australian brand. And you know what they say? Sydney Opera House, but that's not really a brand. That's an iconic thing. They say Crocodile Dundee and Steve Irwin, okay? And then once in a while, people say Ugg Boots, but that was actually started by Brian Smith, who I know, who actually started in California. Yeah. One of my friends, they say Outback Steakhouse, which is in 1,400 locations around the world, which is Australian, started by an American, and he was just at my event this past weekend, Tim Gannon and three others, who never went to Australia until 20 years after he founded the restaurant. Like, I know your brand. If I tell people, you know, Franklin Water or I tell Pump or Woolworth or whatever, like, I'm aware because I go there a lot, right? And I can name the bank. And so on one hand, every one of the Australians can name American brands, Right. So, so talk about how you have navigated this idea of, of branding, the importance of branding, and also tall poppy syndrome, which by the way, Australia is a phenomenal market, but there is that skepticism. Yeah. And a hundred percent. And I only started my own personal brand this year after exiting, after IPO, after selling, after, so before that, I never did an interview. I never did anything. I sat there and and was working and building on the brand and never positioned it in any way to look as an Australian brand. There's nothing about it. (laughs) Only when it came out and it was in the media, I was on this young rich list and all this sort of stuff. And because they could work out because the IPO and I was like, shit, everyone. And, and I was so worried it was going to hurt the brand because I thought it was always the positioning. I never wanted it to look Australian because I've always had this belief as Australians, we always like stuff more, but when it comes from overseas rather than our own, I think it's because it's built into us because we came here as convicts and we're always sort of like this thing is everything from overseas must be better because we're like this sort of evolutionary built into us or something. But so I never positioned that because I didn't, it's, and I, I would do this test with Australians is that I'd say, Oh my God, I found this new rapper. He's amazing. He's from Atlanta. You got to listen to it. And they'll be like, bang, listen to it. Go, oh my God, I got this amazing rapper. I found him. He's from Adelaide. You got to listen to it. It's like they won't even listen to it. They won't even put the headphones on because wow. it's, I don't know, it's, you know, uh, yeah, mentality, top poppy syndrome, it rather, you know, and a lot of people are concerned about those people, but those are the people who are usually not the buyer and consumers of your products, right? They're just, yeah. and the problem with negative people is they have a problem in every solution. So now I'm going to ask you two more questions. The first one, I'm asking the same question as Tommy. Simon Beard, very successful, right? Known streetwear. You're going to start a company that's going to be a premium, premium luxury. Compete against yeah. the Louis Vuitton, the Prada, the Gucci's and stuff like that. What would you do? And I'll tell you what Tommy Hill figure said. No pressure. Um, 
I would, I would definitely start with the product and think of there's got to be some innovation, some story, some way that you can craft it into it that can create perceived value because perceived value is value. And my thing would be, you know, whether it's like an anaconda skin or yeah, yeah. something or some, some, somewhere from the Amazon where it's yeah, literally like something yeah. that, that has some story to it or rareness or somewhat new way of like whether it's some sustainability method but it's so ultra sustainable or something that you could really craft in and build the story the story has to be the way to sell it and position it but the biggest thing is that i would do is that for six months i would promote it and it would always be sold out but i would never even make the product sell it before you sell it yep that's so so it's it's people want what they don't have. Right. And it's just creating this. You can't get it. You can't get it. And then I would only seed it to influence and celebrate. This is the only one in the world. You're the only one with this. So they'd be like, Oh, cool. I want to wear it because it's the only one you get that organic place. And by the way, interesting thing. Here's your brand. One of one. That actually be a a, a interesting brand, right? You only get things. So we actually have this in our, our culture Kings (laughs) Vegas store. We've got this secret room where you got to go through this mirror, real cool Instagram setup and it's pin code entry. And every item in there is a one of one. So there's no one else in the world and it's all, and whether it's custom or thing and it creates all this experience, but yeah, that was part of it to tell the story in this secretive way of finding the room and everything too. But it's, it's actually, yeah, it it was more done for content, but it's actually super successful in itself. Yeah. So I'm going to go over what Tommy said. So he says, the first thing of all this, I would get a location exactly where those companies are because people would assume that, that if I'm on there, I must be someone. Right. So it's kind of like, so it's that nauseous, like you pay for success either with time or money, right? I can either work 10, 15 years to pay my brand, or I'm going to spend the money and then I would pay celebrities to wear my brand, like I first did as well, right? So very quickly, you get that brand credibility. I'll pay you to wear my clothes because once, and they don't know if they're being paid. So that's what he said. And after a while, yeah. people see the celebrities, they'll get it themselves. And like you said, then you create some very unique, sustainable product uh, that has to be a little bit different. And uh, But I like your skin snake from the anaconda, from the middle of nowhere. Uh, but yeah. So, yeah, I mean, th- that is exactly <clears throat> I I would not pay them though, because this is the other thing that I sort of crack this thing is a lot of celebrities you think, but they actually say ones that are on tour, like a lot of artists and stuff, they're on tour all the time. They need new clothes every day. They don't do the washing. Like they actually need 360. We're we're talking about, we're talking about from day one, right? I mean, I guess you could offer them. You're, you're talking about from day one, right? I mean, at some point you, you don't need to do that anymore, but I, we're just talking about brand new established yeah. quickly, you know, but the, the thing is you got to pay. And I think a lot of people are trying to do it organically, which is very hard to, to grow. And that's the difference. What are you doing now? So I, I you sold your company. Is that correct? You're, are you out? What? Pro- yeah. So I sold, I sold half, um, you know, we got a few hundred million cash. The rest, we went into the IPO. We listed, you know, 21 was a, was a great time, but my more thing though now is that, and I've still got the shares in it, but I've stepped out of the the sort of the day to day and everything because for me, I'm like the public company life. It was definitely I'm very an entrepreneur. I want to move fast. I want to 
you know, bet my own money and take my own risk. And, and it was this thing is that I learned a lesson as an entrepreneur. When you, when you give up control, you're not an entrepreneur anymore. You're just an employee. And I always had this goal in life to never be, work a job and never be an employee. So um, now that's why I created my personal brand. And I watched a, a, what, what Alex Hamozzi was doing. I'm like, this is so genius because I, in going through the, I sold to a private equity firm, but I learned so much about that. And I was like, this would be so fun buying businesses, working out ways to make them better, improve them. And so I wanted to, my big vision is to create my own private equity fund and scale across, you know, e-commerce retail or all different fields where I feel I can add value. But first I wanted to build my own personal brand. And so I got that connection and feeling, because it's like this thing, as I felt with Alex Hermosi on this next generation, if he did on a swipe up and said he was starting a fund, I'd be like, I'll put 10 million in right now through a swipe up. And I sort of think the same reason we thought, oh, we're not going, we're never going to buy expensive clothes on socials. We're never going to buy houses or cars on socials. It all can. Why wouldn't we invest in funds on socials? You know. And I sort of feel um, that's that's my sort of next. And that's so I've just got a few investments sort of going now and and building and learning more of of how to do it without being the hundred percent operator myself and adding the most value. And as I build that over the years, that's when I'll be able to, and I think there's just going to be insane opportunities that still come up, you know, and knowing the retail e-com marketing side, been down there. That's my sweet so, spot. So I'm looking at the culture of Kings.au of speaking with you. It seems also you guys create a lot of content. Maybe you don't hold the product, but you like talk about a problem, which creates content, which it's kind of like I'm looking at the Nike, uh, you know, the McFly shoes and stuff like that, those famous yeah. shoes. And you basically create content that maybe you didn't have or basically just as a way of like creating culture content in a way of what's hot. And then that drives traffic and SEO. Was that part of the strategy too? Yeah, yeah, de definitely. Wherever you could drive um clicks and become a figure of authority and see i didn't do this ever as a personal brand through culture kings but we made culture kings the brand the figure of authority and that's how we would you know off celebrities and stuff and in stores and connect that brand affinity that way that would just be the content and then it's like when we we would create the brand and then that was the thing. Then they just wanted something from Colch Kings. Then we would just position and try and get as much of our vertical stuff to get as much of that sale as possible. So how, how many interviews have you done? Um, Less than uh, maybe six or something. Really? You know, it's never going to yeah. get better. It's never going to get better than this. You realize this, right? The high level. <laughs> you know that, right? I mean, I could tell you know what you're talking about. I could really tell. Like I was like, this guy knows business. I sometimes I just sit there. I'm like, you're so full of shit. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of yeah. biting my lip. Yesterday I interviewed the uh, the founder of sorry, not the founder, the chairman of uh, and CEO of Blockbuster. You know, the there was the movie how they went and 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 you thought they went bust because of Netflix, and he gave the story, and it's yeah. like. It's like, also, I know Apple co-founder, Steve Wozniak, right? And you know how the, the the legend of like, they worked in the garage. He goes, we never worked in the garage. We just put the boxes in the garage. Like, you know what I mean? Like the yeah, legend yeah. just grows into what the reality is and what the fact, even like, if you think about a Napoleon thinking grow rich, I did the research and the guy's like, 
the guy was a con man. You know what I mean? And yeah. and people are like, oh, well, it was a good content. But it's like saying Bernie Madoff had good content. Like it's interesting yeah. the world, right? Of what's real because there's a lot of people on social media that 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 speak and 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 they're full of shit, right? And so and then you have a guy like yourself who legitimately sold this company and made a lot of money and still is involved. Uh, and that's the frustrating part because you could tell very quickly what's real and what's not, mm -hmm. right? Because and and the acumen does that frustrate you? See the world that. And especially in a world because you're very Instagrammable, very it's a very cult, very show me, right? It's a the type of streetwear. What what do you think about what you see on social media um, in, in terms of how wealth and success is portrayed? Someone who is now very successful who started with nothing. Yeah, and I think a lot of these people jumped in the slot because the people that were successful were building business and were thinking, oh, that's a waste of time. That's but that's shifting and these ones go, wait, actually a personal brand is so much more valuable, so much more in driving. You've seen this, you know, there's no better example than Elon Musk in it, but it's like how you can actually create value to the business. And so I think a lot of them have jumped in. They were just opportunists. They were early on it and they sort of proved it out. But as it comes in, it's like, well, wait a minute, you've actually – they haven't actually created real value. They haven't actually been real business operators and understand it. And no, as this, uh, and as this other content comes through, I just think it's going to, um, yeah, you went echoey. <laughs> Sorry. I just, just want to say I bumped yeah. it out. There you go. You're good. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Oh. This is like a, a moment. I'm not editing it back. This is as real as it comes. Well, I want to throw my hands around. I've knocked them all. You're good, you're good but, now. But yeah, I just think they were early on it and that these next wave is what you're going to see is all these billionaires, all these part on it that really share and, and do their knowledge. You just can learn so much. And I think that's the, that's the future. And that's the best part about social and the content. Now, when you throw the content out, it hits the right people. It's not like this thing worried about well, all this sort of haters. It's actually really good because it shows it to people that were really interested and want to learn it. And even of only in just starting it this year, it's been so crazy of just putting out a few things. And then I met, um, you know, this guy and he's like this, massive billionaire here in Australia. It's like, oh, I listen to you on this podcast. I'm like, oh my God, you listen to me? It's like, what? The and then I, from this other billionaire guy, listen, I got this other investment opportunity and it's just because of creating that. It is a, uh, I really feel though that's the, and it's, and it's like that thing is when you're talking and you understand business, you can sort of very quickly, like you said, see people that are like have actually know and understand it and done it or it's just sort of theory and they're just regurgitating yeah, like something you, you need a brand you need a logo you need a mission statement and you're like yeah thank you uh yeah. thank you as well by the way is there a personal website you have i know there's culture kings uh they can go to and, and research and and i was actually uh looking at it while you were speaking just to get a just do a little bit of uh, research uh, i actually yeah, just, go, i never do any research I, I don't even know. You know what makes it fun for me when I click on, I, I don't even know this interview was happening until like I just go on before because I think it, it 
I because if I know the whole story before, then I get bored. I'm only going to ask questions I don't know. So I try to be like, because I'm I, I'm curious by nature, and I was like, I who'd have known what direction we would have taken it, and that and I think that's that makes it more excitement, right? As opposed to like, oh, same old questions. I mean, for you, it's relatively new, but yeah, I yeah. I definitely have been dealing with that because don't you reckon when you're just you know, when you meet other business owners or entrepreneurs, you have such epic conversation. You're like, oh my God, I learned so much. And it's like, yeah. that was the most perfect bit of content. But so many podcasts just become this. Well, because you know, yeah, it's like a machine. I mean, listen, we could have yeah. not recorded this. And it would have been a great conversation. Like, the, yeah. uh, And I'm pretty much sure every conversation we probably ever have from here on out, it'll be fascinating because just the, I think for me, what, what did over the top, when you start talking about, if you had to start over what you would do, it's exactly what I would have done. It's exactly, you know what I mean? Like most, like you, you, you like, so here's a guy who was really successful who, who literally built a massive brand. It's like, here's how it would start. It's not even like doing it all over again because it's too hard the other way because now it's a lot easier to get things. So it's fascinating. This is probably one of the most uh, uh, fascinating conversations I had. And I didn't even know I, I, I was going to have um well, it's fantastic is there a personal website or do you have a book coming out soon or you have something coming up and what do you uh have? no they, they yeah, can go to your instagram simon beard i just looked at it yeah so. yeah just my and in socials and and by stuff. the way I, I need to send you my video guy i i i was looking at some of your videos like you'll see some of my i'll forge you some of my videos like yeah yeah the, the up cool. level of the little bit of more of a you know what I mean? Like not. The I know I've, I've been be. going through all that balance of like, Oh, I don't want to look like it's trying too hard. I want it it's to not be trying too hard. Me. Think of it as a 45 second commercial, you know yeah. what I mean? And, 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 uh, interesting. You were talking about 50 cent. I know 50. Um, I was just watching your, 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 your thing. So he's actually a smart guy too. Very business. Uh, yeah. Met him smart, super, super, by the way, will there be a, 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 a street King JT Fox shoe collection? I don't know. Sounds logical. Um, Tommy Hilfiger is giving me clothes for life. So who knows? I might get some Street Kings uh, culture. Not well, Nike, though. I'm, a, I'm not a Nike guy. After what they well, did with the kneeling with the flag and everything, I just, you know, it's interesting how when brands get political, it's like, you know what I mean? Like how Apple, which we we know what where they lean, but they're trying to be like as organic as possible because at the end of the day, there are people who won't buy because of your beliefs. And now don't you feel like they're trying to incorporate beliefs, political and religious beliefs in brands all it does, it divides. It doesn't, you know what I mean? You're just dividing your audience for anything. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, as opposed to like what the brand represents, not sides. And so it's interesting, especially in America right now. Very, I mean, you see it with Trump and you see it with every, like so much division. And if the brands start being political, you know, like I think Budweiser is a perfect example of what happens when, you know, and I'm sure the CEO had no idea. They're like, hey, like a lot of people got a can. This is what I find out is they did a can and they got like, basically. They like, did 1,200 influences in that Yeah, one they did 1,200. And then people took that one can. So it just wasn't yeah. that one. It was like, hey, like you said, here's an influencer. We're going to put your picture on it, promote yeah. it. And, you know, so I, I, I think people are going to think twice, especially, I mean, I think Budweiser is like right at the top, top selling beers. Now it's not even the top 10 and that's a big market in America, wow. right? It takes yeah. a lifetime to build a brand and five minutes to destroy it. So check out Simon Beard, uh, his Instagram, check out culture Kings, great website as well. Then you can study. I think it's a great also website that how to build a community as well. And, uh, I can't wait to meet you in person. I think this was absolutely fascinating. Um, 
by the way, you have the final word. What is your favorite quote and why? Um, my favorite quote is happiness is being challenged yet on top of things. And so it's that balance that I always think you've always got to push it. You got to push for to be challenged, but then when you just come out on top, that's the magic. And so many people think happiness is sitting on a, on a beach drinking a margarita, which we could do for the rest of our lives, but it's not <laughs> the most boring thing you can do, yeah. by the way. Plus, the hot, the sun is so hot in Australia. You're gonna get cancer anyway, so you'll yeah, yeah. cut your life living there. You got melanoma as well. So there you have it, Simon Beer, Culture Kings, phenomenal interview, lots of lesson. Please do me a favor, subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. But if you watch it on uh, and you did not see our faces and you're on Spotify or Apple, please rate it, please like it, and please share it. it doesn't cost any money. Reciprocal value. You got amazing value, and I would strongly recommend you listen to this podcast twice because you're going to pick up a lot of things a second time, the first time you didn't. I know I will, and I, I never do. So thank you so much. We'll see you on the next time.